Thank you, Brother Morton. And everybody say praise the Lord. So good to be here in the West Coast Conference. Good to be with these brethren that uh, sponsor and put on this, Brother Morton and his church family and the uh, young preachers and the men out of his under, out from under his leadership, and uh, we're thankful for the great work they're doing. We've been here for several conferences and have enjoyed each one of them. They've been a blessing to us, and uh, I like to go where people love preaching and love what's preached, the gospel that separates us from the rest of the world. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm thankful to be on the same page with these good men, Brother Godair that preached last night, Brother Davies that preached today. What a wonderful faith-building message. And uh, uh, the other, these others that will pick up what we don't do, they'll do. And we got confidence in them, Brother, brother, other, brother Bill Davies, Brother uh, McMullins, Brother Holmes, and uh, these great men that will follow us after today. Wonderful men of the Lord. And I, I would have liked to preach what I'm going to preach many, many times before I preached it today. Because during the night when the Lord would wake me up or in prayer or in my office, uh, there was a great, great anointing there. I hope I can some way gather that in here today, feel what I have felt in the last few months after Brother Mor Morton had called and asked us to minister here at this conference. Good to have my lovely wife of 39 years with me. Glad she's here tonight. My son, we're so happy he's here with us. We're looking forward to the rest of this great conference. Hallelujah. I think I'm going to sing. Get some help with the singers. Hallelujah. Nobody ever asked me to sing. So I have to do it all myself, but I have to have all of you singers to help if I'm going to sing. You know, I like the old path where it is the good way. You walk in it, you'll find rest for your soul. While you stand in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and see me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what shall I answer when I am reproved? And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that, he, he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet to be appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. And I not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold... His soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Pastor Morgan, would you pray? Lord, we thank you today for the reading of the Word of God. We pray, God, from this, the pages of your Bible will come the word and the will of God for this moment. God, we need to hear your voice for this moment. You, you know how many lives are here today, how many hearts have gathered here today, and how we're searching and seeking for you. God, touch the man of God to get in the right vein and bring to us 
your word and your will. Mm. Anoint it and bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and you can be seated. Hallelujah. The prophet Habakkuk was in a time when Israel had backslid and they were definitely in need of a word from the Lord. And this good prophet made the declaration that I will stand upon my watch. Then he said, I will watch and see what he says unto me. So thankful for the stage that's already been set prior to me coming to this pulpit by Brother Godair and by Brother Davies. Letting you be assured that this church only functions by preaching. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? Over the years of my life, I've uh, been an outdoorsman, a hunter. And a lot of people bring their guns to me to sight them in and to see uh, if they're on target. And I have a simple principle by sighting a gun in. It's when the sight touches the target, pull the trigger. And you're going to hit the target every time if you get that barrel in line with the target. I went to an old gunsmith recently, and uh, he was setting a new scope on the gun. So he took the bolt out of the gun and put the gun in a vise. And he looked down the barrel of that gun. And he put that target in the center of that barrel And when he got ready to adjust the sight, he didn't even take the gun to his shoulder. He just set the sight where the barrel was. Long has it been since we as apostolics need the barrel and the target to line up. We need when the gun is fired, it to be on target. Because this is life or death. If you don't get the preach word of God, you're not going to be able to be saved. But God has sent apostolic preachers into our lives that we might hear, thus saith the Lord. If God ever needed an apostolic to stand up and be counted, it's the day and time which we live today. We need him to stand up and make a declaration. This is where I am. I'm going to be on the Lord's side and the word of the Lord will not fail you. Our country is in a mess. This last election will tell you the spirit of our our world. How that they're leaning toward humanism and secularism and they just want to be able to be, uh, uh, you know, go that liberal route. And that spirit, if we're not careful, will come on the church side. And that's why you got to have apostolic preachers that know where they are and know where they stand. Preach it. Everything that glitters is not gold. Everything that seems right is not right. You're not going to be able to stand as a saint of God and as someone in local church if the pastor doesn't have a target. 
And I'm telling you, when the enemy raises up his head, he ought to be able to level down and let them know the devil don't rule in this place. His spirit's not welcome here. This is the church of the living God, and we're going to stand where God stands. The Secretary of State, Ms. Rice, a few days ago had an interview with Cal Thomas, the... Uh, commentator and writer, and some questions he asked her, and, and from our paper I want to read what she said. And he said, I will begin with a general question. Why does she think that there are so many trouble spots, whatever, challenge in the United States? In addition to Iraq and Iran, there's North Korea, Venezuela, Nicaragua, where it appears Daniel Ortego may return to power on the 5th, November the 5th election. She said, we're at the beginning of a big historic transition. When I was here the last time working for President Herbert W. Bush, we were at the end of the 50-year containment of the Russian threat, ultimately defeating it. And, we, and so we got to harvest the end of that. This time, we're at the beginning of a new, big historical transition where they are trying to lay foundations for ultimate victory of democracy and triumph against the ideology of hatred and the defeat of terrorism and rogue states. She is confident all of this will happen, or is it just wishful thinking? I have no doubt that it will happen, but it will certainly not be on our watch but it may be several watches into the future. Somebody is trying to make sure that there's democracy throughout the world. They're trying to set a stage and a platform and set up something that they can know for sure down the road, these little rogue states won't rise up to rule us. Thank God that we have somebody in the White House that's willing to challenge the enemy on their ground. Somebody that's willing to stand up and say, if you want to fight, we're going to wait till you get on the shores of the eastern shores of the United States. We're not going to wait till you invade the West Coast. We're going to your territory. I'm telling you today that the devil is still trying to invade the apostolic ranks. But I'm telling you there are good godly men that standing up on their watch and saying, not so. We may not get it done in our generation, but on our watch, we're going to stand and make a, a declaration where we are. Harry Truman was, by his own admission, a sissy. He said his mother never would let him fight. He said he had to uh, he wore glasses so thick that uh, he had to keep a pair in every pocket because if he lost them, he was as blind as a bat. And when he was uh, there at his library where he has all his artifacts, he was talking to a young boy. He said, son, he said, I've always been a sissy. But he said, I was a farmer and it failed. I went into the clothing business and it failed. And I didn't have nothing else to do after everything failed but be a politician. And he said, when I got to the White House, there was decisions that had to be made. 
And he said, where I learned to shed that sissy spirit was, was in the trenches in France. When the Germans begin to uh, uh, send artillery and mortar into the trenches where we were in France. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I was terrified. And I looked and the men were running away. He were, they were under my leadership. And all of a sudden, he said, I was afraid and I ran too. And we thought they were going to gas us and we were putting masks upon the horses. And he said, my horse got spooked and fell on me and almost killed me. And he said, when I saw everybody was running, he said, something rose up in me. And he began to curse them and tell them, you get back where you want to. We got to fight to win. And he said, I built some courage because when great men stand up, other men will follow. That's why we need gospel preachers in the pulpit to stand their ground and not let the pressure from the outside and the world rule them in their preaching. Thank God for men like Brother Vaughn Martin and these other great men that's willing to stand and say, we're a holiness church. We're an apostolic people. We're not charismatic. This is a God sent God called church we as I listen to brother Davies what wonderful things has taken, taken place miracle after miracle and what's the good about that there's not an apostolic preacher that couldn't stand in this pulpit today and declare what he began telling you how God made a way when there seemed to be no way God's on our side. And so some great men fought uh, when it seemed like the odds were against them, and they won, not because of their ability, but because God fought their battle. I can give a pointer to all evangelists. You won't never have to have a little book that you have to call and call and call and try to get a revival. If you have results, they'll call you. If you're producing, or somebody be calling your number. Everybody wants to have a revival. They just don't want to have another series of services and hear a bunch of Bible school preaching and a bunch of little sermonettes that you may have dreamed up that'll work. I'll tell you what'll work. You get a target when you go there and preach what the Lord gave you and sit to that congregation and God will honor His Word. We got some of the greatest minds ever been in Pentecost. Some of the most studious men that's ever graced the pulpit. But I'll tell you what we need. We need some old country boy that don't know much different than G and Haw. That's plowed behind an old mule and talked to that mule all day long. Get up. Whoa. G Ha. And in the process of that little dust rising behind that plow, they had a talk with the master. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord give them a word that would help any church. It would cause them to realize, God sent me here tonight. I was in revival in North Little Rock after I first got married. My wife wanted to take me back to her home church and show me off. And uh, her grandpa was a pastor and... His son is sitting here today. 
And I was a young, knew everything preacher. You know how it goes. You've got all the answers when you're young and you get older, you have a lot of questions. And so I was waiting my turn to preach. And uh, we were, I'd got the Holy Ghost in a United Pentecostal church in South Florida and uh, had some things had taken place and my pastor had just come out of the organization and, and we didn't know nobody and they didn't have nobody to refer me to and uh, he just had to, I just had to believe the Lord. And so after I was called to preach, uh, I didn't have a, a no tape to listen to. I didn't have a, a sermon book that I could go to. I, I just uh, felt like, or I really didn't feel what I needed to feel, but my pastor said, God calls you to go out and preach. I said, he did. She sure did. But I was willing like this good brother to stay right there in that home church as long as that pastor said. And uh, I was a... He told me, he said, January, resign your job because God's going to use you. So, all right. And so I resigned in January of 1967 and didn't have no revival, didn't have a sermon, never really done anything but maybe preached a little bit at a youth rally. You know, they used to give us five minutes. And uh, I'd worked all day laying blocks one day, and the block mason, he was in the church with me, and it was his company that I was working for. I was mixing mud and, and mixing up in an old vat and taking a hoe and laying up blocks, and, and we were going to preach that night at the youth rally. And boy, we all had a message. I'm telling you, we were fired up. Couldn't wait. Man, I had my Bible, had my finger in it. And I just, I, mean, I couldn't wait to get my five minutes. But I tell you what knocked the wind out of me. That young, that boss of mine was preaching before me. And I knew all day he was fired up. He ran to the pulpit. He said, He stood there a couple of minutes and never said one word. He just went and tucked his head and sat down. Boy, that put some fear in me. That knocked all that unction out. Because I knew how fired up he was. So that's about all preaching ability I had. And uh, I resigned and I went home. And mother had fixed a meal and I was set in for supper. And the telephone rang, and I reached up and got it. It was Brother Anderson at Panama City, Florida. He said, I was praying, and God moved on me to call you. I want you to come and preach a three-day preacher's meeting. So I got everything I owned. I didn't own no suitcase. Uh, my daddy gave me a 16-gauge shotgun. My brother sold Cutco knives. The only set he ever sold, he bought them. And out of that Cutco knives was a little brown suitcase that come with it. So I put all my belongings in that little suitcase. And I had one Bible. It's an old Schofield Bible. My mother won in a Sunday school drive. 
Brother, I was equipped to go evangelize. I caught me an airplane in the, in the Pensacola, and they picked me up and took me out to preach that three-day pre minister's preaching. I went by the church. He's, I said, you better let me out at the church. So I went into church and laid that Bible on the altar. And I said, now, God, if you go help me, you better help me tonight. I'm in trouble. What am I going to do, God? And it looked like... You just bold letters that stood up in the Bible. I said, well, good. I'll preach right there, God, if that's what you want. I'll tell you how good it was. They ain't never asked me back. That's been 40-some years ago. So I, I was all, and this preacher come, and he said, I know you're booked up all the time. Yeah, booked up. He said, but I got a little old church of 19 people. He said, we just started a church. And he said, some weekend, could you just give us maybe a weekend sometimes? I said, I sure could. How about this weekend? So when I got there, you know, the Lord's going to test what you really believe. You know what he had sitting in the living room? A television. His wife had a wedding band on. It was back in the 60s, and she had a miniskirt on. So I'm telling you, when I got to church, the Lord anointed me. You know what I preached against? Television. Women with wedding bands on. Miniskirts. I'll tell you what the Lord done. He started giving the Holy Ghost. People started getting the Holy Ghost. She'd grab me by the lapel and say, I ain't never going to take off this wedding band. I'll tell you what, the next night, the Lord wasn't through with her, bless God. I preached on it again. And after three weeks, there was 135 people that had the Holy Ghost and living for God. If you have research, bless God, they'll be looking for somebody that can preach what the Lord sent them there to preach. God wants revival. He needs apostolic people in the pulpit how to bring revival. Great men have stood in our history and drew a line and led others a chance to stand on which side they would. One of them was Travis at the Alamo. They all lost their lives in the battle to have Texas as a free state. They wanted to stand in the opposition of the onslaught of Santa Ana and his army as they marched against the Republic of Texas. If there's something worth fighting for, you heard the great man last night preach, if there's something worth fighting for, it's worth dying for. Say, so, well, if I preach like that, he won't never have me with revival. I'll tell you what God needs. He needs a preacher. You don't worry about having revival. God can send you where there's a place that needs apostolic preaching. I always rather have somebody that preach more than I believe than less than I believe. Then we had, in our time, I... 
I lived through the Cuban crisis. I was a glazer by trade, and uh, the federal government did a, a background check, and myself and one other man put all the glass in the secret in installations in South Florida and the bunkers and stuff where they had glass. They took us out and would drive us around and not let us know really the direction, but take us to the place. And there was missile buildup uh, in South Florida, all out in those tomato fields, in the glades, in the Everglades. They made little trails and had missile launching pads. All of them zeroed in on Cuba. And there old uh, Anita Khrushchev was flexing his muscle. But thank God that John Kennedy, he had a blockade around Cuba. He said, I'll tell you what, you may come in here, but it won't be on my watch. It won't be on my time. It won't be while I'm in the White House. We've got the, the means to stop you. They all zeroed in on you. And the plane stayed on the runway. And uh, the pilots was in the cockpit 24 hours a day in the early 60s because the enemy was 90 miles away. I'm going to tell you, we don't need preachers that will vacate the cockpit, but they'll stay in, the, stay ready and have their missile ready. You're not coming in here, enemy. We're going to see that in our watch that this gospel is protected in our watch. No preacher is any stronger than his successor. No man, because there's not any holiness churches. There's just holiness preachers. That's why some pulpit committee don't never get the job done. That's why some committee from headquarters can't send nobody in there to do the job. You better have a man of God on his watch that's watching for your soul and able to get somebody in there when he's gone to fill his shoes. No man is stronger than his successor. You're going to have an apostolic church and you have one, you better be looking around for somebody to fill your shoes. Because it seemed like just yesterday, I preached the landmark and back into 70, 76. And I won't ever forget that, that day I preached. I preached on, in the valley of Acor, there's a door of hope. Being able to be recognized as our only hope in this world. If we're not recognized as apostolics and as God-fearing people, the world won't have a chance to be saved. They ought to, I'm telling you what, I can recognize, I can recognize a charismatic. Yeah. Right. They ought to be able to recognize an apostolic. Men and women. They ought to be able to see you and tell how you act in the grocery store. How you act when a waitress comes out to wait on you. I, I've owned restaurants and I've had Waitresses to tell me the rudest people there is is the Pentecostals. So I work on that in my church. If your hamburger's not just right, keep your mouth shut. 
That little old woman's out there because some sorry man is not supporting his family and she's trying to make a little living to feed some babies. When you leave, you ought to leave at least 15 or 20% tip and let her know you're doing a good job, honey. We got a revival down in our church. You can come down there. We're standing our watch for you. You worried about where you got your tomato or not? Well, they put mustard instead of mayonnaise. You ought to be worried about that little light. I'm going to let it shine. That's going to shine when it ain't going just right. I'm going to let my little light shine. I'm not going to be long today, but being as they asked me to preach, I, I think I'm going to do it. Hallelujah. That's what I like about Brother Martin. I was coming up through the San Joaquin Valley, coming here, driving. And I thought, I'm going to label him as the Bishop of the San Joaquin Valley. Bishop Von Martin. I christen you as Bishop. There are some enemies of the church, and we need to identify them. And so, a few weeks ago, before I was willing to do the will of God, I, over the years, the Lord's moved on me to have a tent revival. Now, the reason, I'm not a, a coward or afraid, but... Several things the devil threw up to me, having that tent revival, was number one, I had a tent revival. And I was beginning a song, and I heard a gun blast. And I thought someone had threw a firecracker under the deal. And I seen the men of my church jump up and start running. And they ran behind the platform, and I won't ever forget the horrible scream I heard. My God! He's killed the preacher! And so I broke, and I ran through the curtain in the back of the platform, and I jumped off. And there stood a man with a pistol. And there lay on the ground in front of me was the body of the evangelist. I rushed to his side and cradled him in my arms. I picked his head up and I put it in my sh- in the cradle of my arms. And I watched the blood as it trickled down out of his nose. And it began to come out of his ear and out the side of his mouth. And, and such fear came over me as I looked around and there stood a boy with a Derringer gun. A two-barrel thirty-eight special. And as that preacher tried to trembly open his mouth, and he died in my arms. And over the years, that troubled me, and he would move on me to have a revival. And I was sitting on the platform a few weeks ago, and uh, it came to me again. We need a tent revival. We need to get out of this building on the side of the road, and... We need to let them know this is an apostolic church. 
and our fear came over me again. And I heard him clear. He said, I can get your attention. You've done had a heart stent put in. You've had cancer. You better fear me. I jumped up out of that chair and I run over to my son. I said, son, we fix and have a tent revival. He said, you mean it, daddy? I said, I mean it. He said, who's going to preach it? I said, I am. I'm not going to let the devil make me afraid not one more minute. I'm tired of the devil trying to rule. I'm telling you, I'm going to stand on my watch. I'm going to declare the whole counsel of God. God's able. Well, the church got excited. And one of the ladies was in Walmart. She was... That's where all Pentecostals go. Walmart. And the lady was there with her and she's telling her, we having a tent revival. She said, you are. She said, can I come? She said, sure. And that little old lady come, I'm telling you, and she got the Holy Ghost. Others got the Holy Ghost. We put a baptizing tank outside of 171 and we went out there and baptized them where the world could see them being baptized in the only name that's given where men can be saved. So I went one week. Man, it felt so good, I went two weeks. It felt so good, I went three weeks. I'm telling you, when you get to moving, you don't want to quit a good thing. I'm telling you, you got to quit worrying about one night revival, two night revivals. Preach that, preach that. One of the major magazines I get. Yeah, preach that. They interviewed a bunch of revivalists. They said, revivals are over. They may be where they are, but it's not where we're standing. We're standing on our watch and said, God's still revivalist. I got the Holy Ghost in a verbal bean revival where it scared the devil out of me. They said, we don't like our people to be scared. If you've ever been in one of his revivals, he may stand 30 minutes and stare at you. That'll scare you in a while. Your kids will want to sleep in your bedroom. Oh, I started out a long time ago to tell you about my revival in Little Rock when the wife was so proud of me. I looked back there, and we'd just been married a few weeks, and she was grinning like a Chesapeake. I run back there and grabbed her by the arm. And I said, okay, you're going to be my wife. We're going to break these revivals loose. And I started running her down the aisle. That old church in North Little Rock used to have a petition in the back. And when we got right in the back, she reached up with that free hand. I pulled her out to the other side. She said, But that Wednesday night, see, I was raised in, in a dead church where they had been preaching all this outward emotion and revival and the shouting and bucking his latter rain. 
And so that night when Bishop Holmes came in, he had a little skinny guy with him. You know, I'm standing up there ready to preach. So Brother Holmes said, before Brother Hare comes, said, uh, I went down to the bus station and picked up Uncle Matt. He said, Uncle Matt said, God had a word from the Lord for the North Little Rock Church. And so Uncle Matt, he started to the pulpit. Yeah. Just about time you touch again. I love it. I thought, well, that's what they're talking about, that free Pentecost. To myself. I didn't say that out loud. So he grabbed that puppet. He said, oh, <laughs> you better fear the Lord. You better fear the Lord, church. And he goes through that little routine. And finally, he just froze. He said, God said, five men set your house in order. You'll die, not live. Brother. He got quiet. That night, after we prayed a man through around one o'clock, Brother Childress in that church went home. He wasn't probably midlife in his late 40s, early 50s. And his wife heard him that night as he got up to go to the restroom. She heard a thug hit the wall. And she went in and Brother Childers was dead. That was Wednesday night and by Friday night, the North Little Rock Church, five men had died because God said, set your house in order. You will die, not live. I'm not talking about voodoo Pentecost. Preach. Somebody reading your phone number. If you ain't got sense enough to know your phone number, you ought to stay lost. I'm not talking about Social Security. Somebody know your Social Security number. You ought to not get a one penny of Social Security if you don't know your number. I'm not talking about this fake Pentecost. I'm talking about people who has a message from the Lord. I'm going to tell you, it won't always be that little flyery sermon that everybody gives you accolades about. It'll be times when they'll grab you out of the lapel and say, I don't believe what you're preaching. I was preaching a large church. And uh, I was preaching against, well, let me, let me get there yet. Uh, let me go back. So in prayer at my office the other morning when I feared the Lord, I was sitting there praying and some things began to come to me and I said, okay, I, I wrote them down. And I wrote down 10 things that is destroying the move of God in our apostolic ranks. And I'm going to go 10 through 1 instead of 1 through 10. I'm going to go backwards. Number 10, and there's a lot of people that's afraid to use this word television. I'm going to tell you what, I saw that a long time ago. Every apostolic preacher can keep him out of his church if he wants to. That's 
You can't pay tithe to me and have a television and be a member of the First Apostolic Church of Moss Bluff. I'm not a hireling. You're not going to hire me. I'm standing where God's word can be preached freely. Television is the seed of the devil in an apostolic church. If you don't get a conviction against television, you won't have one against video. You won't have it against any other gadgets that hell will concoct and bring into the church to steal your family and steal your friends away. You not only better get it out of your house, you better get a conviction that it's evil and it's of the devil. You won't worry about the others if you get a conviction on television. You won't worry about video. You won't worry about computers and all it's got. If you got a conviction against television, you can stand flat-footed and say, It won't happen on my watch. So, that was number ten. Number nine is worldly music. Preach that. Rap music. Country music. Rock music. Hear that. Charismatic music. Hear it. Phony worship. Phony mood. I'm telling you, God likes to have an old Pentecostal hold down. I'm telling you, are you singing what you feel and feeling what you sing? God curses young people that go out of the church and turn on rock music. And turn on country music. And turn on gospel rap. So, worldly music is the seed of the devil to steal the true worship out of the church. Number eight. I know we've heard this word so much. Jewelry. Explain. I happened to be in the convention in 1964, San Antonio, Texas. When I, I was singing in the choir, and we went backstage. And I looked today for me a place back there somewhere. I wanted to sort of get back where I saw the speaker that night. I'm standing here tonight. I want to echo the 1964 message. I seen a young man, he wasn't looking look old then, and he was sitting in the stairway with his head buried down to his knees and he had a little thin Bible. I really thought he was a janitor at first till he walked out to preach the convention that night. And I won't ever forget what he said. He said, the handwriting is on the wall. He said, I got yet to find the right where you board, district board, and general board members have a right to wear that wedding band you got on your hand. Some old lady screamed out, if you'll hold him, I'll scratch his eyes out. But I'm going to tell you, wedding band is the seed that the devil has put in the apostolic church to bring about all the other children. That's right. 
If we don't get a conviction and get some men of God that's able to stand in the pulpit and declare the whole counsel of God and tell them that that come from heathen worship. It come through the Catholic Church and it's not a part of an apostolic movement. The wedding band is the jewelry curse to Pentecost. So I was preaching this large church. And uh, the preacher was the prayingest man that I have ever been encountered with in my life. He would go out in the barn and pray. I'm not talking about a 15-minute prayer meeting. I'm talking about he would pray hours upon hours every day. I went out there where he was praying and where his knees knelt down, the hole was at least this deep. He was so spiritual that he wouldn't have an indoor bathroom. He put the commodes out on the back porch. And then he wouldn't have one for the men and one for the ladies. I meant one that everybody could use. He had one for the men and one for the ladies. And his wife dyed her hair in the kitchen. It was the first black sink I ever seen. Because she was up in her 60s then, and she didn't have a gray streak nowhere. When I got on this jewelry question, you see, let me tell you what, evangelist. If you're having results, you can preach about anything you want to preach. They won't run you off. They may not like the message nor the method. They'll love the results. And so I was going out to get in my car one night and I was preaching about some big old brooches she wore. She would wear a different one and most of them would have a little Jesus saves. Jesus wept. They come through religious symbols creeping their way into the apostolic church. But on my watch, I'm going to let it be known that there be no wedding bands. So we're going to keep the brooches out and the hair pieces out. We're going to keep the things that are jewelry out of the church of the living God. It won't happen on my watch. That was number eight. Number seven. I never thought that this would be a part, but... I'm sinning in my town on a regular basis. Worldly lifestyles, when pants are worn by women. Painted faces. I recently, my son and I, he's over here. I had a lady and her husband, I prayed her throughout the Catholic Church probably 25, 30 years ago. She was with me 12 years, and a and, uh, very attractive lady, beautiful little family of four. Uh, never had a minute's trouble out of her. Cause she went off to teach school, with, and she got to teaching there with another lady from another Pentecostal church. And so evidently she had a problem that she never told me about. In a world, she had pulled all of her eyebrows out. And she said she felt condemned because she didn't have no eyebrows up there. And 
they wouldn't grow back. No problem. When she was a sinner, she could paint them in. So this dutiful little Pentecostal lady working with her took that to her preacher. And he sent her word. Now, that paint on your face is sort of like makeup, sort of like false teeth. We don't wear makeup unless it's necessary. And it's like false teeth. If it's necessary to cover up a scar or cover up some imperfection, it's all right for you to paint them in. So one night they showed up at my home. And uh, her husband came to me and he said, you know, we want to change churches and want to pass it by you first. said, there's some things that my wife's going through that she uh, just feels uncomfortable and and we can do that somewhere else. And we don't want to bring a reproach on you. And, and I said, no, 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 no. And that ain't going to happen, not on my watch. I said, I, I feel sorry for you. I understand your problem, but we're not going to start no painting, no eyebrows in at this church. And so they got up. James said, oh, if that's the way it is, we won't, we won't go nowhere. We'll stay right here. But I felt a spirit. And he got to the door and started grabbing. Them. I said, wait a minute. He said, you listen to me. If you leave, you're going to lose your wife. I thought, why'd you say that to myself? That ain't no way to prophesy. That woman never showed me that. And so they went to this church, my neighboring church, and they made them teachers of young converts. And the first young couple they went home to teach, he took that man's wife. And they said, the first one. And so many years passed, and this past winter, she had become heir to some very valuable property. And uh, I had a funeral, and she came to that funeral, and, and uh, they were going to a neighboring church. I went down there, and there she was with red lipstick on, paint, mascara. She had a dress on at that church, and she was a greeter at the door. You know, giving out the cards for funeral and whatever. And so they came to that funeral at my place and she said, we need to talk with you. And said, we want to sell you our property. I said, well, you know, I knew the property. I've known it since she was first coming to church. Very valuable property where it sells for at least twenty to 30000 an acre in that area. And uh, I said, well, I, I can't afford that. I appreciate the, the offer. She said, but you don't understand. I'm going to make it where you can afford it. And she made me an unbelievable offer. And I said, well, you know, being to put it on that term, I think I might can afford it. And so we drew up a contract. When we got close to the end of the contract, I noticed they started uh, not being so willing to close the deal. And so my 30 days lapsed, and I got a call from my uh, lawyer. He said, Come down to the office, Brother Hare. He said, what's going on? I said, what you talking about? He said, uh, this other man in town called him and said, uh, Ben. He said, Brother Hare's out and we in. I said, what you talking about? He said, that contract you drew up, Brother Hare. He said, uh, uh, we've, uh, we've taken over that now. We buying that. I said, who? And he told me the pastor and two other men. He said, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Brother Hare. I'm going to go down and execute your piece of uh, offer. He said, they can't sell that property without you signing a release. Well, boy, when he did that, I'm telling you, it changed everything. And so 
I didn't want the property. I didn't need it. But I wanted to face that worldly preacher right face to face. I said, the only way I'll sign a release, because she said in my office, and this is her words, I want to go to this church where I can wear my pants, wear my makeup, wear my jewelry, and not be bothered. Well, I'm going to tell you, if it come to my church, they're going to be bothered. So, uh, finally, they couldn't get to land without me. And so, Brother Harry, my son, and myself went down. And uh, so he sat at that table. And I said, I'm going to sign a release. And I said, but I want to tell you, sir, this lady sitting here said she wants to come to your church where she can wear her pants and her makeup and cut her hair, and you won't say nothing about it. There wasn't nothing he could say. But on my watch, I'm going to preach against makeup on men and women. I'm going to preach against women wearing men's apparel. I'm going to preach against men wearing women's apparel. Short pants on men, mustaches and goatees and beards. I'm going to take a stand on my watch. We're going to be identified as apostolic and not like the world. Let me hurry. Number five, the worship services will not ever get any meaning as long as there's charismatic singing. And no depth of moving from the heart. We got to sing the songs that move our people and worship to our God that is worthy of our worship. I'm going to tell you another thing. There is no exemption in worship. You don't get too old not to worship. You got to to be able to worship God if you're still able to lift your hand and say, God, I love you. Number four, let me move along. Another thing that's causing great problems in town I pastor is people trying to have dialogue with the Trinitarians. We don't have nothing in common with the Trinitarians. I was shocked at how many Pentecostal churches celebrated Azusa Street. This church didn't come from Azusa Street. This church came from Jerusalem in 33 A.D. This is the one God, Jesus' name, baptized. Holy Ghost with evidence, church. Some of the name marquee preachers of Pentecost came into my town and had a conference with the Assembly of God. And they had a growth conference. The Assembly of God can't teach us nothing about growing. I'm going to tell you, don't you let them intimidate you. If you just got five folks, if you got them baptized in Jesus' name and ready for the rapture, you're standing on your watch and doing what God wants you to do. John Bosman, Dave Reagan, uh, whoever he is out west, 
Marshall, or who he is, Maxwell, won't never get in my pulpit. I won't teach none of his mess in no seminar. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach mine to pray and to fast and live right and trust God and God will open a door and feed you when you're hungry. We're not going to have Tommy Tenney neither. Nor Tom Fred either. You can't belly up to the chimneys of God and the Trinitarian and do any good in the apostolic church. I'm going to tell you what, God needs men on their watch to stand and identify that eroding element. That's eroding the gospel away out of the heart of the preachers. Number three, lack of doctrinal preaching. Why are you ashamed to preach a doctrine? If you've got somebody there that'll offend, you may be surprised. They may be converted. I'll tell you what'll work. It works every time. Every time I've ever preached it, it's this old Pentecostal doctrine. It's preaching about believing who Jesus is. It's talking about believing in this message of repentance, repentance. Get rid of your television. Get rid of your jewelry. Get rid of your hatred. I know I'm Andalusian, but I've had them that couldn't get the Holy Ghost with a wedding band on. And me tell them, you pull that wedding band off, God will give you the Holy Ghost. I've had them slide it off their finger and start speaking in tongues. I don't like this. Get the Holy Ghost and get baptized later. I know it does happen. But I'll tell you what. It ought, not, it ought to be an exception instead of the rule. You need to take them to this message of repentance, water baptism, then the promise. I was at one big meeting and 30,000 people supposed to got the Holy Ghost. Well, I was a little doubting that. And so the preacher picked up on my spirit. He said, I'm going to roll this little film back. He said, I know y'all are wondering. And he'd already showed. He said, now you see them? He's pointing out while he's showing these slides. He said, you see all them in white? Them has got white robes. That's all our preachers. And he wrote it back and he said, now I know y'all are wondering how we knew 30,000 got the Holy Ghost. And this guy up there going, I didn't know what he was saying. He said, he's telling them, everybody got the Holy Ghost tonight, stand up. And boy, I'm telling him, he said, you see that bunch of standing up? He said, that's how we counted, 30,000, because all of them that stood up that night got the Holy Ghost. I nudged the preacher with me. I said, well, all their preachers got the Holy Ghost again tonight. He said, what do you mean? I said, they standing too. We can be so gullible. So we'll accept anything that they want to throw out there because we like to have a big name and we're doing so and so. Don't ever get tired of praying them through one at a time or two or three a night or ten a revival or five a revival. You just do the work of God and stand on your watch and preach this doctrine. Number two, no prayer. People who don't know how to really pray. One of my little secrets of revival was 
I spent time at the house of God. And I anointed every pew. I prayed where they were sitting. And I watched them sit down and go, hoo, 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 hoo. I done put something on their pew. You spray high life on a dog, he ain't going to stand around long. We used to have the Baptist preacher come to our house when I was a Baptist. And we had a big old black dog the neighbor had. That old dog would come out there, and so we got him out behind the barn. We took some turpentine and took a corn cob. We raised his tail. We sawed it till the blood come, and we poured that turpentine on him. That old dog, woo! He started running, jumped up on the porch where Mama was with the Baptist preacher and my daddy, and he started scooting across the floor. Ooh, 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 ooh. My mom said, boys, come here. What'd you do to that dog? Well, mama, you know how that dog can back up to a corn cob? No. When there's something there, people are not going to sit still. They're going to feel conviction. They're going to have a move of God. I'm going to tell you what, we need to put some of it in old saints pew. If you got a good prayer life, you can have a good worship life. You'll know when the preacher's preaching to you and not if you pray just right. Number one problem we're facing today is the lack of anointed preaching. Too many sermon books, too many tapes, too many emails. And facts and preachers don't have to depend on God to give and scratch out something to preach. They can get somebody to fax what went over good in the East Coast. It'll go over good Sunday night in the West Coast. I'll tell you what, I'll go over good in every service is a preacher that's been in the prayer room and knowed how to pray and got the anointing shaking him all over and standing his ground and said, on my watch, well, my watch, on my watch, on my watch, I'm going to defend the things that brought me here. I'm going to stand and declare the whole counsel of God. Let us stand and lift our hands. Hallelujah. God sent an anointing. It's the thing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. In closing, I had went to this place in 1968. There was, the preacher was an old timer. He was crude, rough, good man. And he needed a move of God. And so I really didn't know how to do nothing but go there and trust God. Send a move. You know, a church has got to have a, a good, genuine anointing on them before it's contagious to the sinner. And so, I'm sitting there and this man stands up and he starts crying. He's about 70. He said, Pastor, all these years, I've had a problem with tobacco. He said, I want to break that yoke that's on me.
You let the devil defeat you if you don't willing to go the second mile. So I stood up. I said, Mister, when that temptation comes on you, get your Bible and read the Word of God in Psalms chapter 23 and verse 1. Every time you want one of them Prince Albert cigarettes, you grab the Bible and say, read this verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He started shaking and trembling. He said, Brother Hare, I can't read or write. I said, well, tell you what you do. You get your wife. And every time the devil comes against you, you make her read Psalms 23 and 1. And brother, I'm telling you, every time he'd want a cigarette, come here, mama. Get the Bible. Read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm telling you, just a week or so, he came back. He said, I've been delivered of something I've never been delivered of in all my life. The Lord delivered me of tobacco. And so, I still hadn't had the break I wanted. and They would bring me a large glass of water every night. And I was summertime, I was hot. And the wife was fixing to close out a song. and She'd sing them real conviction song like, I'm going to lock your jaws so you can't talk. Oh, death, oh, death. And she was playing that morbid song. I'm trying to get them to move. I looked and I seen a big old fat boy. He was just shaking. I said, son, you come to the altar. He ran and knelt down. I seen another man God was dealing with, and I said, Sir, why don't you come? And when I did that, that finger always drops down. It hit the glass of water. It turned over on that big fat boy. He, he backed his big rear end right through a window. Pow! I'm going to tell you, when he got through, he is speaking in tongues. It just needed a little water to get it going. We had 16 men to get the Holy Ghost. Left there, that pastor had 16 brand new men filled with the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you what it moves. It gets the anointing. It breaks the yoke every time. Pastor. Oh, let's raise our hands and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, let's worship the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. For you young folks, you just heard an old time preacher man. Oh yeah. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, see and ask for ask for you know we get what we ask for it said to ask for the old paths where is the good way walk therein and you shall find rest for your soul I'm telling you brother Hare was talking about the good way 
the old way. That's the good way. He said, I set watchmen over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. But I believe that I'm preaching to people today or talking to people today that is saying, we will hearken. I believe there's people here today that like this old-fashioned, old-time preaching and the word of the Lord. Oh, let's worship the Lord. I say, give me that old-time religion. I said, give me that old-time religion. Oh, yeah. That old-time religion. Old-time religion. That old-time religion. Well, give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. It's good. Well, give me that old-time religion. If you want that old time religion, let's come and get across this altar. 